This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So, today I think we'll just dabble in some preliminaries around the subject because Jesus made it very clear that we are to be in the world. We don't have a choice about that, but we are not to be of the world. So we have to sort out exactly what that means because sometimes the terminology gets fuzzy because the words world and earth are, are used interchangeably at times, and that's okay, but let's really define what they are. So the earth is this planet, this ball that we're sitting on, or according to my younger brother, this flat space that we're on, because he's, he's on some sort of a flat earth kick. But I don't, I, I'm praying he's not serious, but... <laughs> sends me a lot of videos that I don't watch about it. The earth is uh, the planet that we live on. And who does the earth belong to? Come on, class. God, right? The earth belongs to God. How do we know that? Well, there's two reasons we know it. Maybe more, but at least two. One is, is that Genesis 1 says that in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. God created the earth. The second reason we know that is because his word says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. All of natural creation belongs to God. So back to creation. If you create something, whatever it is that you create belongs to you. Now you can forfeit ownership, right? If you, uh, you know, I just finished writing my book. I'm in the process of editing and, and organizing all that. That book belongs to me. That book is going to be copyrighted in my name. I'm not going to forfeit ownership of that material. But I could forfeit if if I wanted to. I could sign over the rights to the publishing company. I have that option. I'm not going to do it, but I could. If you write a song, that song belongs to you if you copyright that song in your name. And unless you make the decision to give it away or to sell it, it's always going to belong to you. Even after you die, that song, that book, that piece of art, whatever it is, will always exist under your name. Now, your children, or if you will it to somebody or if you don't have a will in it and the court just automatically handles your stuff, it's going to go to somebody in your family or somebody who is close to you, but it's really yours. A lot of musicians and bands and groups have gone through lawsuits. Some of them have, have even quit because they, what they did was they 
naively agreed to sign contracts with record labels and publishing companies and whoever, pub publicists and marketing people, and they signed away their rights, okay? And so now who makes all the money? And, many, and some of them have quit because they produce this phenomenal work and it goes out to the world and it makes tons of money, but they're only paid a very small percentage of what's coming in because they signed it away. That's sad. That's unfortunate. Right? Some of these big-name artists, that if I called them, you would know their names, have always struggled have always lived week to week. I mean, really, you wouldn't believe it. Some of these enormously popular boy bands from back in the 80s and 90s, I watched a documentary on it one time, how they were used basically as slaves to make piles of money for their manager and for the record company, sometimes getting daily meal money of 35 bucks a day, playing stadiums with 60,000 people, selling millions of records, and they were dirt poor. You can give away, you can sell what really belongs to you, but that's your choice. The earth belongs to God. God has never sold it. He's never given it away. He has never compromised any portion of it. It's still as much His today as it was on the days of creation. Now let's talk about the world, on the other hand. Although sometimes people will call the earth the world, the world in terms of spirituality is something entirely different. There is a spirit of the world that exists in the earth. Okay? It does not own the earth, but it exists in the earth. That spirit of the world was introduced to the earth when disobedience happened in the Garden of Eden. And I think you're all aware of what the results of disobedience in the Garden were. They were as promised. Separation from God. Pain. Disillusionment. Heartache. Bloodshed. War brokenness, chaos, and death. That's the spirit of the world that was introduced into the earth. And then the humans that were created by God were expelled from the environment where they were protected and they were expelled into the earth that was governed by the spirit of the world. You tracking with me so far? So you have the spirit of the world, but you also have the spirit of God, which has never gone away. Back to creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And then what happened? The spirit of God hovered over it. Hovered. He was there. He saturated the whole business, the, the, the way I see it in my spiritual imagination is that the Spirit of God 
came and made ready the environment and the atmosphere for what the Word of God, when spoken, was about to put into place. Because the Spirit of God always prepares, always makes the way, always sets the stage for what God is about to do. That's why the Scripture tells us that, that in order to come to God, you have to be drawn by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is the one who paves the way, creates an atmosphere and an environment where you can actually get into the heart of God. And without the Spirit of God, it's just not possible. So you have the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world and those two spirits stand in constant contrast to each other, and there is a constant war going on between those two spirits in the earth at all times. Any questions? We're just having class this morning. These are the preliminaries to what spirit are we to be of? Which spirit do you choose? Which spirit do you think will provide you the best pathway of life and the best opportunity for a potential eternal life? Which spirit involves the truth, and which spirit is built on deception. When the serpent came to Eve in the garden, everything from the first word out of his mouth was deception. And from then on, every bit of it was deception. It was not fully true. There was deception involved. Therefore, when she disobeyed, and when Adam followed suit and disobeyed, and they were expelled from the garden, and the world system, the spirit of the world, was set up and unleashed in the earth, everything from that time has been built on deception in the world. Everything. Listen, don't be shocked by deception in your government. Government is built on deception. It doesn't mean every aspect of government is bad. It doesn't mean every person who serves in a government position is evil. But, but fundamentally, fundamentally, government, human government is built on deception. Fundamentally, human business is built on deception. We could spend a lot of time there, which we're not going to get into all the, the weeds around all of that. But everything about the spirit of the world is founded on a principle that it includes, at least at some level, elements of deception. Watch TV commercials. Observe any sort of marketing. You're going to pick up elements of deception all along the way. Do business. Go buy a new car. 
Listen, we had a girl come in who was a resident of Eden Village in Atlanta who had just bought a car. Not long after she bought the car, she started feeling uneasy about the deal she had gotten with this car. She wanted some advice as to whether or not she wanted, whether or not she had gotten a good deal, whether or not she had done the right thing. So she comes in and sits down. She lays her paperwork out and says, I bought this car. Can you tell me if you think this is a good thing? I, I'm, I'm not feeling too good. I need somebody to make me feel better. I look at the contract. It's a $6,500 Volkswagen Jetta, which if, if you pick up, pull up the book value on it, is worth about $4,000. You start with that. Young, single woman with two children struggling, living in a homeless shelter, goes into a car dealership and is talked into purchasing a car $2,500 over value. In addition to that, they talked her into buying the gap insurance. You know what the gap insurance is for? That's to cover you because they screwed you to start with. That gap between what the car is worth and what you're going to have to pay because of what you owe if you tear it up, you buy insurance for that. And they charge you another $1,500 added to your financing contract. In addition to that, listen, on a $6,500 car, they sold her a $3,500 warranty. That's $11,500 financed plus taxes, registration, etc. on a $4,000 car. You think she's the only one ever went through something like that? No, every person who walks into a new car dealership or a used car dealership experiences that. Why? Because business, in large part, has elements of deception in it, always because they want to sell you a product and things will be manipulated a little here and there in order to get you to buy it. Good news, we put her in the car, drove her back to the dealership, slammed the contract down on the desk and said, you're not doing this to her. The car's in the parking lot. Right? Just not going to do it. Spirit of the world. The Spirit of God is clean, is pure, is right. You can't find any spots on it. You, you, you just can't find the dirt. You can dig and dig and dig, and a lot of people are digging really hard, but you can't find the dirt. You can't find what's wrong. I often think whether you believe in heaven or hell, whether you believe there even is a God, if you just lived by the principles outlined in God's, world, the world would, the, in God's Word, the world would be a phenomenal place. Wouldn't it? Just love people. Just exercise forgiveness. Just live by the words of Jesus. The Beatitudes. Be meek. Be humble. Be loving. Be kind. Forgive. Read the Sermon on the Mount. That's the spirit of the kingdom of God. So they stand in, in harsh contrast to each other. Here's what we got to know. Where we are and what's going on in our society is we have to know that 
when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to following Christ, in America we have it very easy. We have it very easy. And when you have it very easy, you're at risk of not taking it seriously enough. When you have it very easy, you are at risk of not really digging in to a full level of understanding what the nature of this war between good and evil is really like. You say, well, I, you know, we, we don't really have it easy. They, they, uh, are, they took the Ten Commandments off the courthouse. They took prayer out of schools. Listen, I'm all about the Ten Commandments being everywhere we can put it. I'm all about prayer being everywhere we can establish it. But that ain't real persecution. That's not, that, that, it's starting to ramp up some. There's going to be more on the way. It's going to get more intense. And my fear is that we are in no way prepared for it because we don't understand. We don't understand the nature of this war. We don't understand really what it means to live of the kingdom of God versus being part of the kingdom of this world. We don't understand it because we don't have to deal with harsh persecution here. Who stopped you at a checkpoint along the way to figure out where you were going this morning? To find out if you were going to a Christian worship service? Who did you have to worry about? Who are you worried about right now storming through those back doors with, with weapons in their hands threatening you and telling you to get on the floor and asking you if you believe in Christ and if you do, if you will not renounce Him, they're going to shoot you through the head. Or is any, did anybody come in here worried about that this morning? No, you didn't. I, I'm pretty sure that some of us wouldn't be here if we had been worried about that. That's my point exactly. Is, is we, We've got to get to the place where we understand the severity of this whole thing. The seriousness of choosing, am I of the kingdom of God or am I of the kingdom of this world? And folks, I've just got to tell you, it's a whole lot more than a declaration. It is lived out. I've told you to write your own obituary. You're writing it out. You're living it out every day. And you can say, well, I'm of the kingdom of God. But does your life prove it? Does the way you spend your time prove it? Does your attitude about forgiveness prove it? Does your attitude about love prove it? Does the time you spend in prayer, meditation, studying the Word versus the time you spend staring at your phone screen prove it? Hey, I'm all dancing all over everybody's toes, but I mean, we got to get real about it. Because there could come a time where if we're not locked in, rock solid with a full understanding and, and, and geared up and armored up for war, we got no shot. None whatsoever. Here's a good comparison for you to think about. There are two varieties of Christianity in the world. 
There's Eastern Christianity and there's Western Christianity. And believe me, there is a monumental difference between the two. We're part of Western Christianity. And it is nothing like Eastern Christianity. In many Eastern countries, and when I say Eastern, I mean East of Europe. So you still have Western Christianity in the Western European nations, France, England, Germany, the Scandinavian countries. Nobody's bothering them because they're not a threat. You move east from there into the Middle Eastern countries, into the Far Eastern countries, and you don't find people sitting in houses of worship like this right here. You find people gathering in homes, in basements, in underground bunkers, in barns. Why? Because they know that there's potential that the authorities are going to show up and give them problems. They have to sneak Bibles into many countries because they're not allowed. There's a level of persecution that we in America, we can't connect with it at all. We just don't understand it. We've never been there. And it, it has struck me a lot in the last few days about how how much more we should be praying for, lifting up, thinking about our brothers and sisters around the world who don't have it as good as we do. And when I say as good as we do, I'm not talking about like Jamaica where I've lived and where I've worked, where, yeah, their buildings are are not as nice as ours and as ours and they don't have air conditioning and all that kind of stuff but they're still free to go to church anytime they want to i mean they go to church four or five times a week down there they carry their bibles under their arms they have the freedom to exercise their worship of god and to declare it openly i'm not talking about that i'm talking about places where there's a constant threat and a constant fear that somebody's going to show up and torture you, take your family from you, or kill you for worshiping the one true God. So in America, we are part of Western Christianity, but we cannot have the mindset of Western Christianity at large. And inside that dominion of Western Christianity, there are some real, dedicated, committed, hardcore, grassroots followers of Jesus Christ. Don't walk out of here thinking that I'm up here saying that everybody in the Christian, Western Christian church is lukewarm. That's not what I'm saying. There are a lot of really sold out, on fire, full of the Spirit believers in the West. But man, generally speaking, we're a watered down set of folks. We are an unserious set of folks. We go to church on Sundays, we leave. And the rest of the week has very little to do with a hardcore grassroots relationship with God. 
And I'm going to say that in the lives of most believers, that's the case. Most. Do you believe in God? Yes, I do. Do you believe in His Word? Yes, I do. Can you quote John 3.16? Yes, I can. Can you quote part of Psalm 23? Well, I think so. And we think we're good to go. Well, you might be good to go, and I'm not going to judge your salvation. I'm not going to say you won't make it to heaven, but I can tell you this. If real persecution ever shows up here, you're going to be in trouble. Because if you're not committed enough to dig deep, to be sold out, to not care what anybody says or thinks, to proclaim it, to think it, to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, to pray about it all the time then you're not going to be grounded enough, strong enough, solid enough, armored up enough when the real war breaks out. There are countries where Christians are being gathered up and they're being shot. There are countries where children are being taken out of the homes and taken to institutions to be raised so that they are not influenced by the Christian influence in that home. I was reading this morning about countries that where the most violence against Christians happens. Pakistan, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and a bunch of other North African countries. India, Somalia, Afghanistan. I was surprised by India. But India is like number four on the list of countries where it's hard to be a Christian and where violence takes place against Christians. So, if you leave here with anything today, and we're going to review a couple of scriptures and we're going to call it a day and give you some stuff to ruminate on for the week. Leave here with this. You've got brothers and sisters around the world who are serving the same God you are, who are of the same spirit you are, who are born again like you are, but man, they have a really tough time living it out. They have a really hard walk day by day. They have to deal with pressure, stress. They have to deal with opposition on a constant basis. They're trying to raise their kids in a knowledge of God, but they can't send their kids out there to school, to a Muslim school, to a Hindu school, to a Buddhist school, to learn about the one true God and how to live in His kingdom. They can't sit out in the public park with their Bible open and read in, reading it in the afternoon. They can't hold public prayer meetings. And in some places, it's literally that they're always afraid when they gather that somebody's going to burst through the door armed with weapons that are going to threaten them or torture them or kill them. I want you to leave here with that on your mind so that you can lift up those brothers and sisters in prayer. That's my challenge, my charge today is let's spend more time, give more energy and effort toward those people. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays. And he prays for his followers. It's important for us to know that his followers included 
those people that were around him who had said yes to him right then, but it also includes all of his followers who would follow him afterward through all of history. So that includes us. He is praying for us right here. He's praying to his Father and he says, I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. See that? When, when Jesus calls and says, come follow me, what we do when we say yes to that is two things. One is we choose yes to follow him but we're choosing all also to walk out of the world we're giving that up we're doing away with that that's the old me right that's the old man jesus said in john 12 25 anybody who wants to gain his life has to lose it first you have to lose that old person in order to gain the new person. You walk into the new person, the new reality of life in the kingdom of God, in the spirit of God, and out of something, that spirit of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word now that they know now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words they get for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. Wow. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. He's not praying. Listen. Jesus is not praying for the world. Jesus is giving an invitation for those who are of the world to exit the world and to enter life in the Spirit in His kingdom. And it is for those people that He prays. He's not praying for for the world. I think it's a waste of our time to pray for the world. I think if Jesus figured it was a waste of his time when he was going to pray, he didn't pray for the world, then I'm going to accept that as my example and I'm not going to pray for the world. I'm going to pray that God will bring people from the world, the spirit of the world, into his kingdom. Then I'm going to pray for those people all the same prayers that Jesus prayed for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So part of my challenge to you as you go with these things in your mind is to go to John chapter 17 this week and to pray the same prayers that Jesus prayed to his Father for his followers 
that you pray those prayers for His people around the world. I named some of these countries, and there are others. North Korea, Iran, Yemen, countries in the East where God's children struggle and suffer under severe persecution. Go look up the names of those countries and call them out in prayer. God, I pray for Your people in this country that You will give them Your power, protect them by Your power, the power of Your name. Make them one with us in spirit even though we are miles apart. Then in 1 John chapter 2, Verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Listen. If... If these things are illustrated as being paramount to life in the kingdom through the words of Jesus Christ, through the words of people like the Apostle John, then they should be paramount to us. What do we love? If somebody walked up to you this afternoon or one day this week, let, let, let the memory of this service fade off so it's not fresh in your mind. Later in the week after you've been dealing with work and kids and school and whatever it is you have, you're worn down a little bit. And somebody walks up to you and says, hey, what do you really love? What do you really love? What would your answer be? What do we love? It says do not love the world or anything in the world. Anything in the world, anything in that spirit of the world, anything that's part of the kingdom of the world, do not love any of it. Any of its deception, any of its vulgarity, any of its perversion. any of its tricks, charades. Do not love any of it. Do not follow any of it. Boy, we just, we're so guilty of compromise that we don't love most of the world, but we love a few little things in the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Everything else should trickle out of love for the Father. If it trickles out of love for the Father, it will be right. It'll be okay to love that. If somebody walks up and says, what do you love? If you say, I love my family. Hey, listen. If we can say, I love God. I love life in the Spirit of God. Then love for family is going to be an automatic 
byproduct. Automatic. I think it's tragic how people who purport to love God will say, well, I love God, but I'm going to allow this thing called unforgiveness to occupy a spot in me, which is going to cause me to not love some people in my family. What? That, that's an attempt at saying I'm living my life in the Spirit of God, but I'm going to embrace some of what's in the world. I'm going to love that. Listen, he identifies the three categories they fall in right here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's the pride of life that causes us to want to hold on to resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. It's the pride of life. It's our own pride. We can't lay it down in favor of the love that comes from God and a complete and full love for Him and His words and His ways. Because if we do that, if we love Him, un unbarred, no hindrances, nothing in the way, then we're going to love the people He puts in our life. We will love the blessings He brings as a byproduct, not as the main thing. The love has to be for Him. Lust of the eyes, that's all the stuff, right? Everything that satisfies in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And all of that stands in contrast to who He is. The world and its stuff is going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And then I just wanted to review the Beatitudes real quick for two reasons. One is because this is the heart and soul of all of it. If you want ever to be reminded of what life in the Spirit of God consists of, just go review the first few verses of the fifth chapter of Matthew. Right there it is, in black and white. There are no excuses. It's right in front of us, and any of us can get to it at any point in time. And when we talk about the Western church and the Eastern church, the Eastern church pretty much lives by these. And the Western church does not. Right? Jesus saw the crowds. He went up and sat down. He began to teach them and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh my gosh. Okay. Go to YouTube when you get home just for a few minutes. And and. Just search great church services. Search great church services on YouTube. I'm not even going to describe. I've done it. I'm not going to describe what you'll find. I want you to find it. And I want you to, to determine in your own heart and in your own mind, is this what it means? Can we go back to the first part of the chapter, please? Is this what it means when it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are these operations that we glamorize pictures of the words of Christ? 
Are they illustrations of what Jesus said, did, lived out? It'll be hard to match it up. In large part, it'll be very hard to match it up. It'll be very hard to go and and check out all the different elements of how a lot of folks do church these days and align it with the words and the life of Jesus Christ. It'll be really hard. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Go to the next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Here's one we all love. Blessed are the meek. The meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. How do you get righteousness? You live in constant communion with the Father by His Spirit. And righteousness grows up in you. You don't just choose to be righteous. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's what Eastern Christianity looks like, and that's more of what we need to look like. You know, if nobody's bothering us, um, we're not doing everything just right. I was driving back yesterday and... um, Dropped Kendall and Maddie and uh, Tracy off over in Waco to go up to a to a bridal shower, and then I was driving on over here, and got over around Sonoya somewhere, and there was a man on the side of the road. It caught my eye. He's a tall, thin black man, and his car was parked there, and his car was covered in scriptures, and then he had signs up along the side of the road with scriptures and, you know, things like that. And he had a microphone in his hand and some speakers set up, and this man was preaching. I mean, he was preaching like a wild man. And, it, it, you know, it was hot outside. The man was probably 75 years old and preaching. And I thought, you know, number one, I'm not man enough to do that. Frankly, I'm just not man enough to do it. Secondly, I couldn't tell you how much admiration I had for that man. Never met him, had huge admiration for him. I'd say most of the people that drove by him yesterday thought that dude is nuts. He's crazy. Nobody's listening to him. What's he talking about? He's a Jesus freak. It's blazing hot out here. What's he doing? And I don't, you know, I'm not, a, not up here saying that every one of us should go out here on the side of the road this afternoon and start preaching like crazy. That's not my point at all. My point is, is that if you, 
grow up in your faith and in your spirit to the point that you're willing to do that, you're on a good pathway. Because God may not call you to go stand on the side of the road and preach, but whatever it is He calls you to do, first of all, you'll have ears to hear, you'll have eyes to see, and then you'll have a courage in you that is not of yourself to get out and do it. Whatever it is. If it's preaching on the side of the road, you'll do it. If it's something else, you'll do it. Because it's the Spirit of God in you that drives, equips, motivates, empowers you to do whatever it is He's calling you to do. You can't do it in and of yourself, so this righteousness has to grow up in us. And righteousness equates to spiritual maturity. And it happens over time as we exercise obedience, as we hang out in His Word, as we meditate on those words day and night, as we put down the phone for a little while and pay attention to some prayer for a little while, as we turn off the TV for a little while and meditate on the Scriptures we read this morning for a little while, as we forget about the distractions for an hour sometime this week and review the notes from this morning's service. Oh, I forgot you didn't take notes. Review what you remember then. Right? The words of God. Prayer. Meditation. We grow up spiritually. And we can face the evil. We can deal with persecution when it arrives. And we will be equipped and empowered and ready to do whatever He calls us to do. You know, maybe you haven't figured out what you're supposed to be doing yet. And maybe you've been a little bit frustrated about that. Well, maybe there's a reason. Because there's always a reason. God has work for you to do. If you're not doing it, if you don't know what to do, you don't know how to do it, you don't feel equipped to doing it, there's a reason. There's always a reason. If we get back to Matthew 5, if we get back to love of Him exclusively instead of love for the things of the world, if we get back to praying that He will bring us revelation as we exercise obedience and praying for His other kids around the world, He'll grow us up and make us warriors. So, this week, if nothing else, think about the people in the eastern countries and pray for them. I think that if we do that, if we turn our eyes off of ourselves for a while and focus on them, we'll learn a whole lot more about ourselves and what we need right here. You believe that? I believe it. Let's pray. Father, you uh, sometimes just show up in a way that's very challenging and convicting. I think you've been challenging us for a little while here now that we are in a more intensive phase of our discipleship and our preparation for the work that you have us doing and the work that you will have us do. I'm praying before we leave here today so that it doesn't slip off the plate 
for my brothers and sisters around the world, for those who are struggling, who are under persecution, who are living in fear because of their faith. I'm praying for ministry leaders, for disciplers and their disciples. I'm praying for Bible distributors who are taking a risk with their own lives and could be imprisoned or worse for what they're doing. That you would make the pathway straight, remove the obstacles, and empower them to fulfill their mission that you've called them to. I'm praying that many, many, many around the world would rise up with complete boldness and courage to serve you at a higher level than they ever have. And I'm praying for churches right here in America, right here in our own hometown, that we would understand the seriousness of this thing we're in. It's not just about getting up on Sunday mornings and getting dressed and coming and hanging out with other people we hang out with every week and doing the same old stuff and checking off the items on the order of service and going to lunch and forgetting about it. I pray you would challenge us by your spirit to not be that lukewarm set of folks like it's described in Revelation because we know the end result of that. So bless your people as they go with your peace, power, provision, protection and continue to prod and challenge our hearts in the coming days concerning these things. It's in your name we pray.